0: Well, is it both my parents that aren't my parents, or is it just my dad that's not my dad, or what's the mix here?
1: Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. Welcome to Episode 75. I joined a webinar this afternoon hosted by Right to Know. They had many different Facebook moderators on from various NPE, MPE, DC groups, LDA groups, and they were all sharing. And their next webinar is April 18th at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and it's Dealing with narcissistic moms and other family members. So I wanted to start by sharing that. I love being around others who knows what it feels like, what this feels like. And perhaps that is why you are here, listening to the NPE Stories podcast, Being around other people who know the pain and trauma around finding out you are not genetically related to your family members, or at least half of them, it's comforting because we get it. It feels safer to express yourself when you are understood. And this is a safe space to share. And sharing with us today is... Kathleen. Hi Kathleen. Hi Lily. I saw you on the webinar this afternoon, didn't I?
0: Yes, you did.
1: Yes. <laughs> I oh and I should great job. They do a great job. You're you're right. And I was just gonna cut in and say I should mention For any confusion, the name of the episode is Wendy Kathleen's story. Your name is Kathleen, but I think you will get to this more later. And um, just wanted to clarify that. But thank you so much for sharing today.
0: No, Thank you for doing these podcasts and inviting us to speak. I think it's important for us to tell our stories as much as we can for healing.
1: And people get so much out of listening to them. And sharing them is healing. You're right. And I see the notes you sent me, but why don't you go ahead and start at the beginning of your story and share what your original family was like.
0: Okay. Um, I grew up in a small town and dad was a letter carrier and mom worked um, as a secretary at at the local clinic. Um, I grew up with a sister who was five years younger and my sister lives in the next state over and she has a couple of kids and, um, I have a couple of kids. Um, I was married, but my marriage ended in divorce. Um, my husband left me for a younger man, um, but that's a whole different podcast. Um, middle, middle class. Um, really great family um, good childhood busy as kids parents really didn't spend a lot of time playing with us and things like that they were more into yard work and um, those things took a vacation every summer for two weeks to a local lake and um, once a year a day trip to the beach and, and that was what our life was like. My husband owned a hardware store and I went. we went to a, one of their conventions and he won a free trip to Cancun. And he had already had a passport but it had expired and I had never had a passport, having never been out of the country. So we went to the post office and applied for passports and actually the person standing in front of me was one of my colleagues and she was getting four passports. So we applied, did what we needed, time passed, an envelope arrived in the mail and it contained my husband's passport, but it did not contain mine. So... I call the passport people and say, you know, what's going on here? And they said, well, you didn't send documentation as to why your birth certificate was filed 14 months after your birth. Now, I always had a um, copied a copied birth certificate. Um, It wasn't a real one because my folks, the story that was told to me was that my mom's physician was on vacation in Vermont. My mother was very nervous, so he invited her to come to Vermont and deliver when it was time. So that gave me a facsimile um, of the original birth certificate. And I used that for everything. I mean, driver's license, school, marriage, anything I needed, I used that for. So this was the first time that it was ever in question. And so I hang up from the passport people. And I do need to say that as I got to be a teenager, I never completely fit in my problem-solving skills were so much different than my sister's, than my parents. Um, and I had actually asked a couple of times if I was adopted, and I was told no. I um, look like my mom. My son had the same birth defects that my dad did. Um, so those things sort of pushed the question out of my head, and I thought, well, I'm the one with the problem. I'm the one who's crazy. It's just, it's all me. And so I took it on myself that I was the problem. So when I hung up from the passport, people, I was crying, and I was like, okay, knew something was wrong, something was wrong. So I called my mother and said, Hey. This just happened. Is there anything I need to know before I start a search? And she was like, Oh, no, 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 no. This has got to be a clerical error. Now, this is so this is June of 2005. I go to work the next day because, of course, everything has to happen during business hours because that's when, you know, probate courts and town clerks and those kind of places are open. I worked in a clinic in an office with five other people. Our proximity was pretty close to each other. I was a telephone triage nurse. And so everybody in that room, the minute I picked up the phone and started talking, knew something was up. So I called Burlington, Vermont's town hall and talk to a lady and say, you know, I just found out that I can't get a passport. I need my birth certificate. She looks it up. She says, oh, yeah, it's right here. Um, Send me some money, and I'll get it right out to you. So I said, okay. And it was so funny because when you're told you can't do something, you want to do it even more. And for the first time in my life, I was mad because I couldn't leave the country. I was stuck in the U.S., even though there's tons of places I haven't seen yet. But I was stuck. And I wasn't happy that I was stuck. Um, so I call. I, I go about my day. actually had to um, have an MRI in um, a different town for a neurological problem that was going on. And on the way back, my cell phone rang, and it was the town clerk saying that she apologized, but she couldn't send me my birth certificate, that I would have to go through probate court. So I'm like, okay, um, you know, here I might have a brain tumor, and I can't get a birth certificate. Okay, this is going really well here. Um, So I called the probate court and talked to a nice lady named Judy who says, okay, send more money and write a letter to the judge and tell her your story and why you need your passport. Now, I need to add that our trip was September Um, 25th. We were supposed to leave. This is the end of June, beginning of July. I write the letter, send the money, send it all off. I start internet searches like crazy during the evening. I mean, sometimes I wouldn't hit bed until 2 a.m. I would go to, you know, people searching for, I would go to adoption sites, all of these things. It never really occurred to me to look at a maternity home. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to get any records anyway. The end of August, we're about the 20th of August, and the passport packet arrives. Inside it is the birth, of birth David. Now, my mom and I are really, we're really close, and we talked a lot. And she has not spoken to me since that initial call. That night that I talked to the passport people. The only contact I've had with my father, which is really odd because Dad was very quiet. Um, you didn't hear a peep. in fact, you you call on the phone and Dad says hi, and then passes the phone right over to Mom. Um, so this was kind of odd behavior. I I thought about it, but it didn't really. Take hey, hold. Just that, just that it was weird and I wondered what I had done wrong. The, the passport package had a birth affidavit in it. It also had a census you could apply for, but you couldn't use it. Um, so dad agreed to do the birth affidavit. So he came over and we used the, one of my friends at the hospital was a notary. So we used her, and he was like, well, I don't know what to say. And I say, well, you know, just say that you were there when I was born, blah, 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 tell a little bit of the story. So he did whatever he needed to do. He signed it. She notarized it. As he's walking out of the building, out of our office area, he says, now – I'm, I think the doctor's name was, and he gave me a name. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's not the name I've always heard. I always heard the name of Dr. Daniel. And so, you know, we said goodbye, and I went back to my desk, and I thought, you know, I have always had my care here. I'm going to just think I'm going to call for my chart and see what's in my chart. I'd had my chart in my hands once before because I just had to um, put an immunization that I had gotten for a short period of time. I worked at a satellite clinic, and so um, my chart was in the main clinic and not the satellite, and I had gotten a flu shot, I think it was, or a tetanus shot, something over in the satellite. So, When I came back to the office, I just noted it in my chart. And then nothing, you know, I had no reason to paw around in my chart. And oddly enough, and I call these God moments, um, our paper charts were scheduled the following week to be transported to off-site location because our electronic medical record was starting. So I, I said something out loud, and, and one of my office mates said, oh, I'll call for a chart, I'll call for a chart. And I said, no, no, I'm going to do this the right way. So I called downstairs, made an appointment, went downstairs, Did it at lunchtime, looked, handed me my chart, you know, signed the forms, they handed me my chart, opened it up to the last page, and sure enough, doesn't it say, adopted baby, four pounds, four ounces, two weeks premature. And I looked at that and I said, Mm -hmm. oh my God, this explains why I'm early for everything. I've been early my entire life. Um, and and then it sort of settled in a little bit, and it was like, okay, this the pieces are fitting together. Okay, this makes sense to me. And and then there was that little bit of anger that my mother didn't know me well enough to know that she could have told me. I would have been okay with it. Um, So I make a copy of that first page and I bring it up to the office and I float it over the shoulder of my colleague. It drops in front of her. She reads it and she goes, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I said, yeah. So I pick up the phone and I call the probate court. And of course, by this, time, Judy and I are on first name basis and said, I am not supposed to know this, but you're looking for adoption records. And she said, okay. She said, let me see um, what I can do. You might need to write another letter, but let me first look. Look at this. this. We'll, We'll be in touch. So I'm like, okay. I call home and I say, hey, guess what? I'm adopted. Um, the physician I work for needed something. So I walk into his office and we do the business that needs to be done. And I'm, I'm shaken. Um, and I just sort of looked at him and I said, um, if I'm a little off this afternoon, uh, it's because I just found out I was adopted. Um, poor guy. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. He just kind of looked at me. Um, and then I turned around and left and went back and continued my work day. Did wonder, because m- my father's name was on the ch- on that page, but my mother's name wasn't. So then I have thinking of well, is it both my parents that aren't my parents or is it just my dad that's not my dad or what's the mix here? My father has cl- had clinical depression and he had seen our psychologist um, that works in family practice a couple of times. And I was part of the behavioral health team improvement um team, quality, how to go forward with our behavioral health stuff. So I called Tom, Tom, who was the counselor in the building, and said, "Um, how do you feel about problem solving? And he was like, oh, I love to problem solve. And I said, well, here's what I got. I just found out I'm adopted. The dilemma for me now is, do I tell them I know? Am I going to burst some kind of major defense that they've put up? Or do I keep it to myself? And he said, let's meet for lunch on Wednesday. And at some point, I don't even remember when, I must have said something to my dad about go, taking a day off from work and going to probate court and sitting there to see if they would hear my case. Because remember, this is the end of August and my trip is the end of September. So I'm thinking, okay, I can get to Cancun. Cancun needs could use nurses, right? I mean, it might be a nice place to live. Um, but if I go, I'm not getting home Um, because I don't have a passport. Mm. I get a phone call at 9.30 in the morning and it's my father and he says, can you come over? And I'm like, sure. I'd be happy to come over after work and he says, no now. And I'm like, okay. And of course, there's never a supervisor around when you need one. Um, and this I also call a God moment because sitting out in our flow room was a phone triage nurse who didn't have an assignment yet. So I said, hey, Rebecca, can you pop on my phone? i got to go. And I said to, to one of the other girls, I said, can you just let our supervisor know where I've gone? Um, and she said yes. And I, for some reason I must have known because I – at the time we still had our gift shop and I stopped in the gift shop and I got a long stem red rose to take with me to my mother. They lived like two minute drive. So I've actually spent my career working in the neighborhood where I grew up. Um so we drove over, walked upstairs made the left into the living room. My mother's sitting in the living room chair with her puzzled board in front of her. She's got a big picture window um, that looks out over the neighborhood to her left. Dad's standing there, and he says to me, you know why you're here. And I said, yeah, I've known since Monday. And then he proceeded to tell me the story of their um, going up to Burlington, Vermont. Um, They'd gotten a call saying that they had a baby. Dad then tells me that they didn't know I was coming home, so they didn't have any supplies. They had to stop at the store on the way home for supplies. They got a laundry basket to put me in as a car seat, even though they didn't do car seats back then. But I came home in the laundry basket with the supplies. They didn't want to know anything about my birth mother. Um, they only knew my name because they were given three bottles that said Wendy, Wendy on them. So Wendy was my original name.
1: Oh, that's where Wendy comes from. That's okay. where Wendy comes from.
0: He tells me that they've been in contact with the Elizabeth Lund Home in Burlington, Vermont, where I was born, and they have the adoption coordinator's name, and I need to call her right then and there before I leave the house. And Oddly enough, he then shares with me that they couldn't remember where they got me from. Luckily, there was another couple in town who adopted at the same time from the same place Uh, they were still alive and were able to tell dad where I came from so I was very thankful for that other family Um, and the one time that a patient had said to me because I was a chemotherapy nurse for about 10 years and one of my patients, you know, you're, you're given the meds. You're sitting there. You're chatting, and she said, "Oh yeah, you're the one they adopted." And I said, "Oh, really?" And then, of course, I called my mother and said, "You know, why is I adopted?" And She said, "Oh no, they they confuse us all the time with that other family." Um, so again, I, I didn't I didn't think I didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. Um, So at that point, I was glad that other family was around. Um, So I called the adoption coordinator. She said that she would, her name was Leslie, and that she would try and get my birth certificate for me so that I could get the passport. And she wanted me to make sure that once I got back to work, I called her. So we concluded, I gave hugs, reassured mom that, that all was well, and I was very thankful at that moment that I had known already, because my sole purpose at that moment in that room was to support her. It it wasn't about me; it was about her. Um, and pretty much for the rest of her days, it was me making sure that she never felt the least bit rejection um, and I also realized that they had actually kind of held me at arm's length um, and and my husband also perceived that um, and to jump a bit ahead um, my oldest son has recently um, mentioned to me that he's really aware of how differently i was treated than my sister who is their biological daughter and i remember when she was born um, because i was five how do i honor wendy and still be kathleen without splitting myself into two people it felt At that moment, like there were two of me. Or, or more so that I couldn't let that happen. I, I couldn't, I couldn't become two people. So that's when in my head, I became Wendy Kathleen. And so all of my life, I really grew up as Kathy. And, but Wendy Kathy just didn't sound good to me. So I started signing things Kathleen. I started, people would ask me what my name was. I started to say Kathleen. Um, I never really could retrain anybody around me to call me Wendy Kathleen. Um, And, I mean, I gave up on that really fast. So I don't know that I really wanted to be always Wendy Kathleen. But somehow I needed to honor that first name. Um, Mm -hmm. so we, we go along and I got my passport, went to Cancun, husband hated every minute of it because it was hot. I loved it, but I have to tell you that I'm on buses, you know, going to Tulum and things like that. And I'm looking at people and I'm thinking, hmm, wonder if we're related. Huh. Could I be related to you? (laughs) Oh, Who am I related to? Who am I? You know, all those things that you'll find I think are pretty normal for a late discovery adoptee. Now, I'm 49 49 years old when all this happened. So I've lived half of my life with the wrong medical history. But I did go into my medical records and I wiped out my entire health history and hit the Adopted button. So, it's February of 2006 now, and part of the reunion process, because I had I'd gotten the non-identifying information, Leslie made it sound like I really should pursue the identifying information. The next step was exchanging letters. So, it's February 3rd it's a Friday I work half a day I get a call from Leslie saying you need to you need to write a letter to your birth mom now they did find the wrong birth mom first Um, and so she fixed that she assured me she had the right one this time and would I write a letter so well, I'm sitting here in the same room I am right now, um, on the computer writing this letter. What do you say? Do you bullet point your whole life, do you just hit the highlights, what What do you say? Well first I started with a thank you, you know, thank you for your bravery, thank you for um, the decision you made, couldn't have been easy. Um, that kind, of, that kind of thing, and then I gave a little bit about my life. Well, my phone rings, so I answer my phone, and it's my mother. How about pizza for your birthday dinner? I'm like, okay, Mom, pizza sounds great. We talk for a little bit. I hang up the phone. I go back to the typewriter, and I'm like, what just happened? I, I, I can't even process this. Uh, I I decided that it was going to, it was the most surreal moment I was ever going to have in my entire life because I'm writing a letter to one mother and I'm talking on the phone to the other. Um, Hmm. It took me eight hours to write the letter. I wrote it, sent it off, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. Well, come to find out. My biological mother was well into dementia. Um, I did mm-hmm. eventually get a letter. Um, and what Leslie ended up doing is because she lived fairly close by, she actually took my letter to my mother's house, to my birth mother's house, and read it to her. Um, so I did get a letter, a quick card back, um, saying that my father was Italian, um, and that was about it. So time passed, you know, a little bit of time passes, and she does agree to meet me. And so we make the trek to um, the Lund Center, which still is going strong. It's in a different location, um, but it's still doing its thing. And so this would be April 5th, April 5th of 2006. And we're driving up, and so I'm thinking, okay, I'm a good person. Not all of it is nurture. Some of it has to be nature. So I'm thinking, yeah, probably good people. I asked my husband what he thought, and he said, oh, this is going to be a grand disaster. He said, oh, this is going to be awful. I'm like, okay, glad I brought you. Um <laughs> so we get to the lunch center i meet leslie we go in the office she says let me just call to make sure that she remembers we're coming and bringing lunch and so she calls and apparently a guy answered the phone and she says can i talk to my personal? and he's not letting her And she says, well, you know, we're friends. And, of course, she can't tell the real reason for the call because of the HIPAA laws. Um, So he's given her a really hard time. And finally, he acquiesces and hands the phone over. And she she says, you know, remember, we're bringing lunch. And then she said, does he know? Um, And then she hangs up the phone. And so she said, well... She said apparently her son is there on vacation. Her son is home. He's on vacation. Um, And he doesn't know. And she said that she would either tell him before we got there or after we get there. So poor Leslie is like, here's your exit words. Here's the exit strategy because she's thinking, oh, this is not going to go well. Um, and, and I'm still like, I don't know, I guess I'm the up positive person. I'm like, well, well I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking it's not going to be as bad as it sounds. Of course, I could just be oblivious to the whole thing in, in my own little world. So we get there, and they lived in a duplex, and they were on the top floor. And this guy comes down the stairs. He looks to be about my age. And I notice his salt and pepper hair. And I'm like, oh, he has my hair. And then he looks at me and he says, Hmm. Kathleen. And I said, yes. And he gives me a big hug. Well, there's an audible sigh from Leslie. She's like, okay, all right, this is going to go all right. And so I head up the stairs, and there's this little lady who's five one, little left, white, white hair, stand at the top of the stairs, and she says hello, and I say hello, and her first words to me were, oh, I'm so glad you have your father's height. So we go in. I'm thinking all this time that I am just going to, you know, Word, word vomit, so to so to speak, and I sat there and couldn't mm-hmm. get a word out of my mouth. I just stood there, and so Leslie says, "Well, why don't you tell them how you came to this point?" And and I'm like, "Oh yeah," and once you got me talking about my story, I was pretty I was pretty good to go. So George starts bringing me obituaries and things like that, and he's talking about his dad who's Italian. And I've gotten this letter saying my dad's Italian, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you don't suppose we're full siblings, do you? But it only been in the room like 15 minutes, and I'm like, I, I can't, I can't ask that question. And I don't know whether George honed in on it or we had telepathy or what. But the next thing I know, coming out of his mouth is, "So mom, do you need to tell us anything else?" And Jonathan said that you should have seen the look on her face because she turned to them with this help me look. Um, and she said we were full siblings. So mm. I was like so excited. That was the best gift that Reunion could bring me because I'd always wanted a brother. I tried to make my cousins my brother. Um, that was just the world. We were there for about three hours and, you know, my brother walked me out to the car and all I could think to say was, I'm so glad you exist. And we exchanged numbers and it was like, you know, call me anytime, night or day. I mean, it was just like we had known each other our entire lives. We are 21 months apart. I'm older. So we go about life, and we. Um, I drove up. Um, there, are three hours north of me, and I drove up twice a year, um, spring and fall, and would spend the weekends. And then occasionally we would do some halfway things, but mostly because of mom it was me going up there, which was great because I absolutely loved to drive. Once I knew who BioDad was, um I decided that I was going to maybe reach out. And I sort of, um, you know, was like, okay, God, if I'm supposed to reach out, you've got to give me a sign, not anything subtle. you got to hit me over the head with a brick. And I happened to be emailing a brother who had, a half-brother who had passed away, and his wife's email was right there in my face. So I said, okay, and I sent off a letter just saying I was doing genealogy, and where does this name fit, and where in Italy are they from, because at that point I was so obsessed with my Italian. Because in my mind, I was half um, French-Canadian and half-Italian. So I get that email from the half-sister, and oddly enough, I discovered that I was pregnant with my first child, who I named Christopher, on the day that um, my birth father passed away, and his daughter's name is Christina. So throughout this story, there are a whole bunch of synchronicities um, Mm. that had happened hmm Go back and forth with emails. Um I actually reacquainted her with her, her mother's best friend. Um so she agreed to see me. We this was August. We um went up, had a nice visit. Um, and then I got the email saying, "Don't ever contact me. Don't ever reach out to any of my family. Don't, um, don't, don't ever be in my life." So oh. I got oh, no. back an email saying, "Okay, um, just want you to know I got your email and have a great life." And in 2014, when I got divorced, I was kind of shooting my mouth off with my office mate that, oh, my, you know, I'm never going to get anywhere. And, you know, because we had talked about going to Italy and stuff like that. She said, well, I've been to Italy, but I want to go again. So why don't we go? So we did do that um, in October of 15. And we purposely went to the little mountain town where Biodad was from. But my my office mate wanted to go through the cemeteries and things like that, and normally I think I would have. Except in the back of my mind was, "You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to have anything to do with this family. Um, you probably shouldn't be, you know, walking on gravestones." So we stayed at the spa, which was lovely. Um, and then when I got home, um, by our mom... Dementia got worse and she passed and she passed away. Um, and then my mom got sick and she passed away the following February. Um, mm. I had then decided, well, I want to know how much Italian I am. So I did my DNA and it came back with no Italian, no Irish either. And my maiden name was Shay. So I grew up Irish. And I'm like, okay, uh, this is bad. Um, so George and I talked, and we, my my brother, and we decided that maybe there was something wrong with Peter's side of the family, and that was bio dad's name. And I, you know, I I kind of knew, but denial is a beautiful thing or a powerful thing, and so I just I put it out of my mind. And then in November of 20, my brother tested. And on 1231 of 19, his DNA came back French and Italian. And I was crushed because it was right smack in my face that the love story we'd heard all the synchronicities. The half sister was totally right to reject me. I wasn't related to her. Um, just sort of came flooding on in. Um, and then COVID hit. Oh. And so oh. I'm like. Wait, Kath, Kathleen.
1: So did you just say that? So. After finding out you're adopted and you have this full sibling, now you're saying your dad, birth father actually isn't your
0: birth father? That's correct. I, a, am that's, an, or, or, I am now an NPE. It, the, <laughs> DNA, yeah. the DNA came back that my brother is my half-sibling.
1: This is the, the strangest infer- NPE.
0: He is maternal. And so... Yes. I am back to have no idea who my father is for the second mm-hmm. time. I go into the office and don't you know, I get into my chart and I erase my medical history for the second time. This time there's tears in my eyes just because, oh, what the heck? Um, so now I'm like, Okay, I guess I gotta start looking at these DNA matches. And I because of what happened with the half sister, I was really torn. And I will say that I spent a year totally afraid. Um wanting to reach out not wanting to reach out what happened if I reached out can I can I handle the rejection again? what I just didn't I just didn't know and at one point I called it all off and I said no I'm not doing this thing I am done. I am meant to never know um, my cellular origins and then, Somebody in our group posted something um, called Have You Done It? Um, And also during the time of COVID, I found um, Chelsea Palermo's The Right Journey. And so I took several of her Zoom classes. And um, she does a thing called Right to Heal and Right to Self. And... I really healed a lot of the um, marriage stuff. Um, But I also had friends who would periodically remind me that all of the people who were supposed to love me, parents, husbands, all life, my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, As the healing went on, I... and I learned these writing skills, I decided, well, I'm going to give it one more try. And I had matched with several um, of this particular name. I had matched with several of the distant relatives. Um, I had first cousins that I had through ancestry that I had emailed, and one I never heard from. One said he'd provide me information and then never did. Um, And so I then went with the next generation down and actually had a second cousin um, who responded and gave me some names of a particular family. So I was pretty sure I had the right family tree And I had the right branch of the tree. But there were three limbs that it could have been. And again, with my DNA matches, I um, got rid of one of the branches. So now, one of the limbs. So now there's just two limbs out there. I did get brave, and I sent a letter to a person that I suspect could be a half-sibling, and I got blocked because I sent it Facebook. I got blocked, you know, friend request denied. So I let that go, and then I decided, well, there's one other half-sibling, I'll give it one more try. And so I sent the Facebook friend request, I sent the blurb to go along with it. The friend request was denied. So at that moment, and, and I actually had sent a note to one of my groups. I'm done. I'm, and, and I don't know if I can use this word and you can cut it out, but basically I said I'm done with the ship. Um, so a week, a week passes. And I, I'm at work and I get an instant message from this person who had denied my friend request. And, and my blurb to her was that it looked like um, we might be related and I wondered how. And so she came back with, well, is it my, how can I help? She said, is it my side or my husband's side? And I went along and told her the story and, um, of my being a late-discovery adoptee and that it was her side, and she agreed to test. So she sent her testing on February 3rd, and so she got the Ancestry test kit I sent her on the 28th, and then I had a moment of panic. And a couple of the people in my group I'm sure I was just making them, you know, they were just cringing when they found out what I did. Um, But because I panicked, I sent her a note saying, um, you know, before you take this DNA test, make sure that you really think about it. Um, Because if, like me, I know these DNA tests can give answers, but they can also create questions. And I just want you to make sure that, you're okay with whatever your results are, whether they're expected or not expected. And she typed back, um, and, and said that, you know, it was fine. Um, she gave a thumbs up. And then later she said that she was pretty re- resilient. Um, we haven't talked a lot. Um, we, through, through Messenger, she did send me a family picture. And she thinks that her uncle is my father. Um, I kind of hmm. think her father might be my father, but um, I'm happy either either way. It should be an answer. Um, she said she thought we'd have the results around um, April 10th. Um, I did want to say that this year at Christmas time. Um, I've always been a lousy rapper, and it just Christmas just isn't my thing. Christmas was my adopted mom's thing. I mean, she excelled. She was perfect. Every bow was perfect. Every present was just exactly what you needed, perfectly wrapped. People would come to her house um, to see her decorations, all of those things, and I just never made it to that level, even though I tried. And as I was sitting here this year, wrapping presents with this negative voice loop going through my head, you know, you're not good enough, blah, 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 I decided to just text my brother, and I said, so, how is mom at Christmas? And he said, well, it wasn't much for wrapping, it was mostly ribbons and bows. And then his next sentence was, um, Yeah, and I don't want to be ungrateful, but she wasn't very good with gifts. I dissolved. I was like, oh my God. I have spent my entire life chastising myself for something that wasn't necessarily in my DNA. And so that's sort of how I turned all this not fitting in and things like that. A lot of people... Have anger, I unfortunately turned it in on myself and have come to realize, as at age sixty four and I'm just coming out of the adoption fog, um, that I've really done some psychological damage to myself um, because I didn't know my story. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, you know, on the road on the road to recovery there, No, so I've had some good matches, and um, I am just really hoping that this DNA test comes back with the right DNA for her, and that you know her only surprise is that we're related.
1: Is her this? I know you are waiting on this the DNA results, and you are speaking with this. Other lady, um, which may be your first cousin, maybe your half sibling. We'll find out. Is her dad alive or her uncle still
0: alive? No, both of them are are both, no longer alive. Both of them have passed away. Okay. Um, if it's her uncle, then I am one of five sisters. I would be the sixth sister.
1: Okay. Wow. So you you may have more sisters or eh, only, only time will tell, right? right. <laughs> as soon right. as those results come in. Do you remember how many centimorgans you and this lady are are related?
0: Yeah. I mean, I won't know what her centimorgans will be um, until... We get the test result back, but my brother was eighteen hundred um oh wow, okay, so I'm thinking that she that she might be in that range, and her her first cousin um, I match in the nine hundred,
1: okay. Kathleen, I didn't know you were an LDA, a late discovery adoptee, first, and then an NPE. You you have been through the ringer. That is two very traumatic things to find out in adulthood. Yeah. And LDA, I, I've just defined it as late discovery adoptee, if anyone's interested. There's all these acronyms in our world. Did you... Well, I... I suppose you never got a chance to talk with your birth mother before she passed about your birth father because you had wrong information.
0: Right, right, yeah. All I knew from her is that Peter, who is my brother's father, was the love of her life. And in subsequently talking to a maternal cousin who I hadn't met yet, as far as the family is concerned, my birth mother fell in, fell in love with Peter and had two children with him. So mm. the family was not expecting this twist either.
1: No, that was their story. Okay their story? how how old was
0: she? She was 32. When she gave birth, she to was 32 you. when I was born, so she knew what was going on. I mean, she it wasn't like really? 16. No, she was 32,
1: and she was 32 and she gave you up for adoption.
0: Yeah, and I I later found out that she had rules for my placement. Um, the people had to have no children, but children could come after me. Um, They needed to live in the suburb. They needed to be Catholic. And they needed to be around her age. Um, Wow. Yeah. I also found out that all of my friends knew. They thought I knew, so they never mentioned it. Wow.
1: why did your birth mother give you up for adoption?
0: Uh, she didn't feel like she had the resources to take care of me, um, as my as my cousin would say, they were dirt poor, um, and so and she knew she knew marriage wasn't in the cards for her at that time. Um, so she just didn't feel like she could. She could take. She could give me what I needed.
1: Hmm. Okay. So today, they on that webinar they were talking about late discovery adoptees (LDAs) and being in the fog, being out of the fog. I had I had not heard this term before today. Uh, I guess, and I'm probably pre- explaining it wrong, but that's where. How did they explain it today? Um, where um it's or- it's
0: where you're feeling like you know your adoption is unicorn and roses. I mean, you know, have <laughs> yeah, have great, have great parents, had a great life. It was awesome. There was absolutely no trauma involved whatsoever. as you start to come out of the fog you realize that because you kind of imprinted with the mother who carried you um... what is in the nursery is a grieving baby um... and back in the old days they used to to give drugs to us little babies to calm us, to calm us down because we were inconsolable um, is how I've heard it. I've, you know, But there's a lot of research now and especially if you read the book Primal Wound um, by Nancy Newton Barrier. Because you know your mother's voice, you know her smell, when you go to the nursery, mom goes home, um, you, you're looking for things that aren't there. Um, and so that causes trauma, even though people think you're too young, you know, because you're just an infant, you can't recognize trauma. But actually, it is a traumatic event. Um, yes. And Absolutely. Uh, For me, I've had a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that it was traumatic. But then when I sit back and I look over various things in my life, I realize, oh, that's a trauma response. Oh, that was a trauma response. Oh, look, that's a trauma response. And so when you come out of the fog, you see all those behaviors that are trauma responses to things that are happening in your everyday life. And so you lose the unicorn and rainbows towards adoption. For me, I I suspect that there will always be a teeny tiny baby toe in the fog. Um, but I think that's just my personality.
1: Thank you for explaining that. I'm I'm still learning so much about that. I mean, even today, I did learn something new. And you have mentioned some great resources I'm going to add to the episode notes. Um, you just mentioned the book. Uh, earlier, you talked about a class you took, I'll I'll add that if I can get that information from you. And then if if people want to know more about you, Kathleen, Wendy, Kathleen, could they get in touch with you and how so? Um,
0: They could use Facebook. My name is Kathleen Shea Kirstein. um, Or they could email me at KathleenKirstein at gmail.com
1: Everyone is always looking for anything that works for our healing, um, other people's experiences, what they've tried, writing workshops, books, all of that. All of that counts. So thank you for sharing that resource. And Kathleen, thank you. You You do have a long story and you had to tell all of it because you've had both of those experiences happen to you. So thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Well,
0: thank you for listening and thank you for what you do incredibly important.
1: These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.